Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. With your chance to be heard, give your opinion, bash on the liberals, even make fun of the wacky left. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 94.9, KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Andy. It's great to be here. It's only like 101 for a high today and tomorrow. I don't know if you guys heard this. I've got Kyle Whitehead and Tiffany Mitchell. I almost called you Atkin again, uh, but uh, from the St. George Police Department. Tomorrow's only supposed to be 87 for a high, guys. What? And get out the park. Get out the cold weather gear, right? And a 20% chance <laughs> of rain. Yes, yeah, seriously. Get the parkas and the, the, uh, the beanies and stuff. And, uh, now it's actually it's going to be pleasant tomorrow. Uh, and that's actually one of the things is we have St. George Police Department on with us today uh, that I wanted to talk about was uh, policing in hot weather. Now, I have two friends, two co-workers, actually, who had cars overheat and break down yesterday. Uh, it's obviously a difficult time to do anything that involves outside at all. And you guys, obviously, a, a big part of the police, policing is you guys can't go sit in your office in the air conditioning and do nothing. Uh, you've got to be out there policing this town. What are some of the special challenges that uh, our, our police department uh, faces in this extreme heat? Well, it's those vests, obviously. But, oh, um, boy. We have been gifted this great thing where we have uh, exterior carriers now, so which is kind of nice. We get to be able to take those off when they come inside to cool down a little bit. But it's definitely, we have a, carry a lot of gear, a lot of weight, and uh, drink a lot of water. You see some cool uh, Im- improvisation. Uh, yeah, there's you a, do. There's a, an invention that actually when I hired on, they call it a cool cop. I Originally, there were some things that uh, officers did kind of with their own um, creativity, but eventually someone patented it, and so it's like a vacuum hose that you hook on your AC vent in your car, mm-hmm. and then you hook it down your vest, and it blows cold air down. Really? Mm-hmm. So yeah, oh, so wow. there are little little tricks like that. We see uh, challenges with our with our vehicles from time to time. You know, police vehicles they do make the radiators a little bit larger. Uh, oh, really? They, they make some modifications on police vehicles to be able to withstand temperatures, but. Even in the summertime, especially some of our older vehicles, we, we see them break down on occasion. It, it just gets hot out there because they're running nonstop. We usually leave them running most of the time. Uh, and so, it, yeah, the heat does play a huge part. We encourage our employees to just stay hydrated and, and don't, you know, make sure you're drinking lots of fluids. Is there less crime because of the heat or more? Hmm. I, it's hard to say. I, I would say... From, from my experience when I used to work in AM patrol and, and different shifts, in the summertime at night, I think there's probably more crime more. because it's the temperatures are, are higher, but it's not like miserably hot, and so people are more active. Wintertime in the, or I'm sorry, nighttime in the winter, right. of course, it's cold. People want to stay inside. It's too miserable. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think probably at night we see a little bit more activity. Um, not just crime, but people in general are out and about more in the, in the summertime versus the wintertime. Mm-hmm. I was I was reading a statistic, and we talked about this last time you guys were on a little bit, but uh, it's accelerated. There there have been 10 mass shootings in the last uh, 20 days or something like that in the U.S. And I have surmised way back when, when we first shut things down and everybody was cooped up and everything, that there, there was going to be a wave of, of violent-type situations because... 
people are cooped up. They're frustrated. They're they're angry. They're they're tired of being told what to do and how to do it and when to do it and things like that. Have we seen an uptick in violence at all here in southern Utah? And thank goodness we haven't had any mass shootings or anything like that. I don't think we have. I, I mean, nothing too out of the ordinary. I'm usually, uh, I have, so the shifts, the supervisors will send me emails of significant mm-hmm. events that happen th- from night, you know, shift to shift. And I haven't noticed uh, a significant increase just due to now the pandemic's over and we're seeing more just people frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we seem to be pretty steady. And so now without actually polling the statistics, but like you said, we're fortunate in this community. We don't see a lot of violent crime. Right. Most of it's property crime and, and then some assaults and some of those things. But well, And I will say this. I think the pandemic touched us less or not as hard as it has a lot of other mm-hmm. parts of the country. A lot of these places where they're having the mass shootings are places that were shut down hard for a long time. And, uh, and yeah, there's some frustration and, and, and emotion. That's, I, I, I think that's a big part of what you guys do, right? People being emotional, uh, whether it's a, a domestic dispute or or uh, even gang violence and stuff like that. A lot of it's involved with emotion is involved. It's a big well, just, part of things. just even a traffic stop is emotional for mm. most people. You know, that they get even a, an officer driving behind them gets their heart rate up. So we're used to dealing with people with a lot of range of emotions going on. And, and that's we, we're good at adapting and being able to just handle what uh, what we get put in front of. And, and I don't I, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know about you two, but doesn't it seem like life has a lot more stressors in it these days than yeah. a decade or two mm-hmm. decades ago? It just seems like we're always, I, I know I am, I feel like I'm always, you know, worried about something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's, I'm just an adult now and, uh, you know, several years ago I wasn't. <laughs> and Maybe that's the case, but it just seems like people are more on edge and, and less, everybody's more focused on themselves and, and uh, you know, mental wellness is... I think mental health um, calls and situations have been something that we deal uh, have been increasing slowly over time based on the amount of stress a lot of people are under. There was a, an incident this weekend. It was in another part of the country, but uh, some guy went through a drive through and ordered something and he didn't get, I want to say it was like cream cheese for his bagel or something, something really stupid. And uh, he pulled a gun and started screaming at the drive through girl. Now, the drive through girl, her dad was the chief of police in that town, and uh, the guy was busted very quickly after he left the drive through But can you imagine getting so upset? And, and again, maybe it's the stress thing. Maybe it's the pandemic thing. I don't know. But you imagine getting so upset that you're in a drive through you don't get an accessory to your food, and you blow a gasket. Yeah. That's yeah. hard to believe. Yeah, you just – I think – the main main point is we all need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves. Have some time to, to unwind and relax, and don't don't plan your schedule or plan your life so busy that you're always on the go. Yeah, I, I I'm a firm believer in planning downtime. You know, time to relax. We used to call it unlax. That's not even really a word. But we used to call it <laughs> unlax at at my house. You come home from work, you need some time to unlax, just decompress. Maybe yeah. is a better word for yeah. it. So, uh, all right. Hey, uh, we've got St. George Police on today. 673-5890 is the phone number. If you'd like to text me, my text line is 435-467-5842. And, of course, emails available as well, agriffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. Tiffany is here, newly married for how long has it been? Six months now? Uh, Two. That's it? Just two months? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, just a couple, but they've been really good two months. So that's probably... 
counts as six, right? Well, congratulations yeah, on thank that. Thank you. And, uh, thank and you. Kyle's been married for how many years now? Ooh. Uh-oh. I think this is the 15th. 15 be, years. No, it's 16. This will be 16. <laughs> so, but who's counting? I hope she's not listening. You might be in trouble. <laughs> nah, I'm forgetting. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about crime scene management, uh, if uh, if we can. If you guys have a crime scene, let's say it's something, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe somebody finds a weapon uh, in, a, in a park. You know, okay, so a little kid in a park, he finds a revolver on the bathroom floor or something like that. What's the process for for uh, for or, or what's the uh, procedure for processing something like that? I think the first thing would be, you know, if it's just a found firearm, um, you know, we always encourage kids. I hopefully all adults encourage their kids, other kids. You know, if you see a firearm, don't touch it. Tell an adult. And uh, oh, but and, that's what we want to do, Kyle. Is go and pick it right, up, right, pick it and up, turn it into look somebody. Look at it, yeah, yeah, and see what. It, yeah. So I, I think the main thing with with young people is is don't touch the firearm. Um, unless you've been trained and you know how, how they function. Um, you know, but if it's an adult and it looks like it's just been something left behind, we, we get the calls occasionally in, in, uh, throughout the community. Somebody will leave a firearm in a bathroom or something in a, in a store. Um, it, it happens. Someone maybe is carrying concealed and takes the firearm off, mm-hmm. use the restroom, they leave the firearm behind, and we get those. You know, in that case, there, if it doesn't appear there's anything criminal, then it's okay for the adult to collect that firearm. Just make sure, again, that you're safe with it call us we'll come and collect it and do our best to try and track down the owner most of the time the owner will reach out fairly quickly realizing they've they've <laughs> left misplaced their firearm yep. and yeah we get Want most of those back. back they're not cheap are no. they no, no. so um no at what point do, would the red flag come up for us uh, if a firearm if it's uh, in a weird place if, if there's blood involved at all i mean what at what point do we go okay this isn't just somebody forgot their gun this is something bad has happened here what what's the red flag for for the average person usually there's a scene involved mm-hmm. you know there there will be a report of gunshots or we're called to a scene and now there's been some sort of an altercation or something that's in those situations. That's when we would encourage people leave leave any evidence alone, so we can come and process the evidence. A lot of times, that evidence is going to be crucial in being able to reconstruct what happened and solve the crime. The, we always hear about well, that the crime scene has been compromised. What does that mean, and and what makes it? I, I mean, if, if you know, if the crime scene has been been compromised, does that then spoil the whole case, or, or, or how does that work? No, it generally does not spoil the case. It can it can make things a little bit more difficult. Uh, in today's day and age, a lot, the crime scenes get compromised all the time. Some sometimes unintentional. Mm-hmm. For example, you have a uh, homicide. Maybe someone shoots another person. Medical's going to show up and try and render aid. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. the, the the life safety takes priority over the crime scene, but they do compromise the scene. They're right. opening packages and they're moving moving the person around, trying to revive them or whatever, that's, mm-hmm. that's going to compromise the crime scene. And, and yeah, we, we hope, we try and minimize that. We train our officers that, look, if you arrive, here are the things to be aware of and here are the ways you can minimize the compromising, but it's going to happen. When, when I was a missionary many, many years ago, a long time ago, um, we witnessed a murder and my, uh, my companion on my mission had been an EMT before his mission, and he decides he's going to try to render aid to this guy who had taken, I think we counted six uh, bullets to the chest. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, uh, Elder, um, I 
don't think you're going to bring him back. <laughs> you get yeah. shot six times in the chest. You're probably not coming back. And he was trying to give him CPR and stuff like that. But uh, that's a situation where there was a crime scene. We they, There were some witnesses. We were witnesses. Uh, but also, uh, you know, in order to try to save the guy, he really messed with every, where everything was and how everything was and stuff. And, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure, you know, we when you're a witness, you don't find out the answer unless you get testified or get called into court. We, we never found out the resolution of what happened with that thing, but, uh, another uh, kind of a, uh, a scary situation there. Crime scenes can be, uh, now, if you guys will talk about witnesses for a minute, uh, I, I, I love to study psychology. I've taken all kinds of psychology classes, but witnesses are quite often very reliable, but also quite often the least reliable part of a police case, aren't they? They can be some, you can have a, Take a crash, for example. This, you know, you can have three people see this same crash and three different three ways. different different stories. But mm. um, do, yeah, do you when you come upon? Okay, let's let's stay away from the murder thing because we don't have that very often, thankfully here. Anyway, let's talk about a car crash. Uh, say you got a guy that's standing on a corner witnesses it. You have the person you know that supposedly is at fault, and the other person who was in the accident. Whose whose word is most credible? I mean, is are we like you mentioned? They're going to see it maybe three different ways. Who do you listen to? Well, we listen to all of them. Obviously, we look at the evidence. Obviously, most of the time you can look at a at a crash scene and kind of be able to tell what happened. Um, and then we're going to the person that's not involved. Obviously, has nothing to gain by mm-hmm. telling his or her his side of the story. So we take everyone's statements into account, look at the evidence, and and make a determination from there. You know, Andy, you bring up a good point with the psychological aspect of this. Mm-hmm. You, you take, for example, those three, that scenario exactly that you showed, the person who maybe may have caused the crash, but you have two people that have been involved, and what's your adrenaline going to be, what's going to be happening oh, yeah. with you at that point? You know, physiologically, you're going to be really uh, some ups and downs, and your perception might be distorted, but uh, you know, you look at that third person who has wasn't involved, and yeah, they're they're going to be experiencing some oh my gosh, you know, adrenaline or some surprise. But I think if you were to look at the science behind it, they would probably have the most clear uh, recollection. Not not in all cases, but uh, I, I think that, and that's where we find sometimes with police officers. Police officers, uh, when they're involved in critical incidents, sometimes they're per, they're recollection can be a little distorted mm-hmm. from the facts. That's why you see uh, when they have these videos come up and they release videos of uh, an officer-involved shooting, for example, and the officer may give a statement that isn't quite in line with what the video shows, and that's because their perception is is different. It, they, there was some distortion. They talk about tunnel vision, mm-hmm. the, the you know all of the adrenaline that's involved with it, mm-hmm. and so, and, and even I think it's been proven that the cameras at times don't even show it's it's not really a three-dimensional there, there are a lot of things that can be missed with cameras sure and so it's sometimes these it's tough people think that oh we've got cameras now and it's just everything's going to be great but i i think that there's still the human side to it and you know we've got to remember we're dealing all of us are human yeah God, brain the brain under stress it's well, cameras can lie sometimes, too. I mean, it, they, like you said, they don't tell the whole story. Uh, one of the things, Lance LaRusso was on the program yesterday, a, a police advocate, but he was talking about uh, taking down uh, a suspect, you know, and basically referring to, you, know, you might have to tackle a guy so you can get the handcuffs on him or, or, or whatever. He said, taking down a suspect never looks good. 
on on body cam, it never. I mean, you're violently taking a person down and maybe kneeling on their back or whatever to put the cuffs on. That doesn't look good to the public. You know, they look at that and they go, "Oh boy, that's that's police brutality. That's that's terrible." But the the truth of the matter is, you guys don't know if he has a gun or a knife or whatever. All you know is he's not this person. I say he. It's mostly a guy usually, but this person is not obeying your commands mm-hmm. to, to do what you asked him to do. And you've got to protect the public and yourselves. Well, and think outside of that. Think you have to remember that it's not, we didn't just start at that point. Right. There was a lot of things that led up to that. There was behavior and, a, and a, probably a pretty scary and maybe dangerous situation leading up to the fact that this person had to be put down to the ground to get handcuffs on. And then you have to look at after the fact and realize that this was just a brief moment then that person, then we can all reset. You get them in handcuffs. Every, the scene gets a little safer. We can all slow down, take a breath, even the suspect, and then we can reevaluate what needs to go from there. So I think you got to look at the big picture when you see those kinds of videos and, and just don't go, oh, my gosh, how could they have done that? Think, okay, there had, there's, a, there's a beginning and an end to this, and look at the whole thing and take that into account before you start. Now, I'm looking at Tiffany Mitchell right now. She has on her left arm or her left waist the taser on mm-hmm. her right, her firearm. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about firearms versus tasers. Um, what's the When there's a decision to be made as to what to use, what, what is the biggest determining factors that go into that? There's a lot of factors. Everyone's safety, first and foremost, in getting the situation under control safely without the, with the least amount of force necessary so we've been trained very well that we communicate and most of the time if if that's the case where a taser and or gun has to be out um, one officer will have one and 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 another just the taser maybe and then one just has a gun there's usually never a point where we would have both out at the same time Mm -hmm. so i think communication is really good and and then we you know we talk and we all right i have taser i have lethal and and we discuss that and and, and you obviously you, we carry our tasers on our non-dominant, as we call um, our hand. And, and when we're trained to, when we pull that out, verbalize that, talk about it, you know, tell them the, the suspect that they could be tased if they don't comply. And then if they, if we are, if we are needing to use that taser, that we we say taser, 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 so that we know the suspect knows, and everyone else around us knows that that taser is going to be deployed. What, what's the range on a taser? Is it only about 20 feet or so? Depends on the cartridge. Yeah. Uh, okay. They have cartridges, I believe, that go up to 25 feet. Um, that's that's max, so considerably less. Uh, the ones we carry, I think, are max of 21 feet. If you, then, if you think about that, folks, that's seven steps. That's not very far. You know, if this suspect has a, a blade or, or whatever, that's... I mean, the decision has to be pretty much instantaneous for you guys, doesn't it? Yeah. And yeah. We, we try and encourage our officers, you know, in, in these situations where they have time and can create distance and, and slow things down mm-hmm. to do that. You know, we don't have to solve, resolve this thing immediately. Uh, time's on our side oftentimes. And if we can mm-hmm. slow things down mm-hmm. and, and really try and focus on helping the person r- realize what they're doing, so a lot of times, sometimes people are just in this mental state where they're just frustrated, they're angry, uh-huh. you know, and you know how it is when people get angry. Sometimes they don't think clearly. 
I'd, I'd like to go back and just talk about really quick one thing uh, about the, the video and showing how violent these encounters can become. Mm-hmm. One of the things we have to remember is if we only match a person's violence, say I'm trying to put somebody into handcuffs and I'm only matching their level of resistance. Right. Am I ever gonna? Am I ever gonna be able to to get them into custody? No, it's gonna be a tie. I'm not. It's gonna yeah. well, and, and realistically, the, the chances for um, injury go up. Mm-hmm. The we're going to get fatigued, and at some point, when an officer becomes fatigued, it's it's going to become a deadly force situation because now they can't they can't function. They they start to lose that fine motor skill, and that's where you see these officers run out of gas. And so, uh, the law actually allows us to go a little bit higher than the person's resistance to get them into custody. And that's why oftentimes you look at these encounters and it looks like the police are being really violent. And that's because the faster we can get them into custody, mm-hmm. the, the safer I think it is Everyone for everybody. Is. Mm-hmm. Everybody is, is more safe and, and we're able to resolve these quicker. Talking with Kyle Whitehead, Chief of Police here at St. George uh, City and uh, Tiffany Mitchell. Still working on that. You're doing you're, great. You were Atkin for two plus two, years. Yeah, well, and, and 25, for, for but yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me. And, and so, but yeah, uh, thank, you're good. You, thank you guys for, for coming on here. If you have a question, 673-5890. You can also text me at 435-467-5842. We're talking a little bit about crime incidents and, and the way that our police department uh, handles things. Tell me, tell me about the aiming, uh, a, a taser versus a firearm. Uh, you kind of have to aim in a different spot, right? Is, is that correct, or, or is it about the same? Uh, generally, it's, I would say it's the same. I mean, it depends on the person. Uh, mm-hmm. Center mass tends to be the, the largest target, and at the end of the day, really, the, the purpose behind both tools is to stop the threat. And so... I'm, you know, if it's me, it's in a dynamic situation. I'm not going to be shooting for smaller targets. I'm going to be shooting for larger targets or targeting larger areas. And so I think that's, that's primarily why you, you see that. And in training, that's where we're, we're a lot of times the training <laughs> takes us is in center mass. Uh, someone just got a text. Uh, please ask the officers about an accident-prone intersection, how it's evaluated to determine how to adjust the intersection to make it safer. For instance, if there's a four-way stop or a traffic light, uh, do you have, I'll, I'll try and read the rest of it as we're talking, but do, do you have, uh, are there some trouble spots that, that you have to focus on occasionally to try to, to get the problem to be less of a problem? And, and if so, uh, what are they and what can we do about them as a public? So we have, a, we have a proactive traffic unit. They go out and focus on those types of areas. Okay. Um, we see as we're getting larger that there are some intersections or some areas that we see more crashes at. Mm-hmm. And so they'll actually take, right now it seems like the, the red light violations, stop sign violations seem to be a little more common. And so they'll go out and they will focus on enforcement and we try and, uh, and, we, and it's proven that if we can target that, enforce in those areas, <laughs> it'll actually reduce the crashes. As people now are starting to notice, and you know, sometimes it's just a matter of refocusing what we're doing as we're driving these these two thousand pound missiles around, right? Yeah. And uh, so we do that. Sometimes there are intersections that just aren't well designed, and when it comes down to that, that's something where we would get the uh, public works involved, our engineering department, and, and they would look at. And I know the state. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the crashes, the data is reported to the state, and then they actually put out crash data. And, and as they plan uh, growth and new construction, a lot of times they'll, they'll take that into consideration as to how they redesign those roadways to make them more, more safe. 
Do you, do you, and I don't want to put you on the spot and you can not answer if you feel like, but do you sometimes go, what were they thinking? You know, <laughs> how could they have done this to us? Uh, I, I'm trying to think if there are a few, I've seen a few roundabouts that I've, especially early on mm-hmm. that I, I scratched my head and went, boy, that, and they did, came back. It seemed like a few months later and redesigned. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's trial and error. Are there, right now, right now in St. George, are there a couple of trouble spots that you guys have to pay special attention to? I'd say there's more than a couple. We have, we're a busy city, so uh-huh. we have a lot of, you know, major intersections that have issues, so. I'm thinking Bluff and Boulevard has been a problem for 30 years or more. And probably that one's still actually, that, that, that one's actually pretty good. You know, you've got 1000 East Boulevard that we have some issues with. River Road Boulevard. Is, is yeah. always a, so that's a good yeah, one. That's, a, that's yeah, an intersection that could use some rethinking. Bluff and Main. Yeah, that seems to. People love to run that stop light right there when they're turning south onto Bluff from and, Main. And the intersection's yeah. so wide that maybe some people have you know gotten used to running other lights, but that's a wide intersection. Yeah, By the time you get yeah. through, yeah, it's a big one. You're, you're seeing the other traffic starting to move. So That's, that's a good point. Um, is there a red light law? I, I I watched an episode. It was like Judge Wapner, one of those old judge shows. Wapner, and, boy, and, you're deep. Well, I don't know. It wasn't him, but it was it was a judge thing, and he was talking about tenths of a second from uh, when the light turns red to when they would issue a ticket because they were the ones that had they had like the photo cop thing, mm, yeah. and stuff. I mean, do you guys when when you see someone sitting at a yellow or, or they're it's going yellow, orange, red, you know? Uh, when's the determination that, okay, these guys need to be ticketed? So, oh, go ahead. Well, it, this is, and my, Chief might uh, correct me, but if their bumper is behind that, that stop line, the white line, mm-hmm. before the light turns red and you cross that after that, that is technically running yeah, so a any, red light. The, the white line in the marked intersections, or if you draw a square on the intersection for any unmarked intersection mm-hmm. that, that may have a signal. Um, if any portion of your vehicle is inside that intersection, um, when it turns red, you're okay to proceed through. Right. Now, that's not best practice, in my opinion. I think we should right. always err on the side of caution. But, you know, for someone that's driving a, a, a large big rig or something that has it's a lot of weight and you can't just jam on the brakes, but you do have that allowance. But if, uh, like Officer Mitchell said, if you are outside of that intersection, the light turns red and then you enter it, then, then it is a violation. So I think on that, Andy, we need to rem- remind people that if they're in that intersection or part of their car's in that intersection where they're going to be blocking traffic and that light is turning yellow, not to panic and, and turn left when they shouldn't and make sure the intersection's clear because that's when we get those really nasty crashes is when someone... And they still have the right-of-way. That they person do. who's this- sitting in the intersection because other traffic hasn't cleared and now it's red... They have the right of way to proceed and, and make that yeah. turn, and, and other cars should not. They should allow them to, to move out of that. That brings up another point. I just want to talk about when it comes to intersections. Uh, we see this especially in the afternoons when you are at, on a congested roadway and you come to an intersection. Uh, don't block that intersection when you know traffic starts to back up. It happens a lot in St. George, doesn't it? It does, it does. and and we we try and focus on it where we can, but unfortunately, I see it happening a lot, and so. Remember, please stay out of the intersection. If you can't get your entire vehicle to the other side, you know, in the line, then then just wait. And I know sometimes that's frustrating because people are making right turns and, and entering and trying to 
You're like, I waited, and he yeah. went still. And That's just, not fair. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still wrong. Wrong's wrong if everyone's doing it. It doesn't matter. So Good point. Right? I, I, I got uh, pulled over once. Uh, I was going through Orem on the freeway, and there was a, a group of four of us that were going too fast on the freeway. And this cop, uh, this police officer, highway patrolman, uh, got all four of us to pull over. Hmm? He pulled alongside one of us. Whoa. Said, get over there. So <laughs> pull over. And he got alongside me. Get over there and pull over. And he I gave all four of us tickets. Wow. So pretty, pretty good stuff. Well pretty done. ambitious. <laughs> he must be working piece rate on that one. That, I think I did good. too. I, re- I remember pulling over two cars. Probably the most I ever I ever was able to get. That's so. pretty good though. That's pretty good. If you can, get, if you can catch two birds. Did we cover all her questions? Yeah, but I have, I have a caller here. So okay. let's go to the phone right. lines. Uh, Ann, I believe. Hey, Ann, how are you today? I don't know. I'm pretty good. Pretty good. I wanted to go back on um, something you, you know, were talking about just a minute ago and about suspects and all. And I and, um, wanted to know if you all have any special training about there's two part people of our population that can be a little that are more vulnerable to, to that. And, and one is those that are deaf, you know, where you say, you know, where you, you know, address a command to someone and they can't hear you, and they've got their back to you. You know, do you have any uh, um, training for that? And then the other one is the autistic, because their behavior can escalate in such a way that can look quite criminal or threatening. Um, and I, I wanted to, to I wanted to, to just uh, ask you all that. Those are great that questions. Experience. Good, good questions to yeah. ask. Thank and you. we do provide training. So, and, and let me do this, guys. Let me push pause for a second and have you answer the question right after my quick weather break because I realized I missed my weather break by five minutes. Well, now. we need we to know what is so. how cool it's going to be today. So we'll stand by. <laughs> All right, hang in there, you guys. Ann, and we'll answer your question right after we get back from uh, this uh, real quick weather break. We're interactive at the Andy Griffin Show. Call in now at 673-5890. Text in at 435-467-5842. Email at agriffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. Let your voice be heard on the Andy Griffin Show. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in today. Senior Police Department on with me today. Let's answer Ann's question without any further ado. Uh, just to recap, Ann called and said, hey, do you guys have any special uh, behaviors or, or training in dealing with uh, two different type, type of people? One are the deaf because mm-hmm. they're not going to hear your commands. And the other one are autistics. And I'll let you guys uh, take it from there. Yeah. So as far as the uh, uh, hearing impaired Mm-hmm. go we um tiffany and i were trying to think back if we've ever encountered that i can only think of one one or two times that we had a deaf person that we struggled to communicate with and it came across more as because they're they're yelling and and maybe their their voice is distorted and and we're confused as to what's going on hand mm-hmm. gestures yeah uh, usually there's somebody there that tells <laughs> us this person's hearing impaired or else they'll make some sort of a sign you know, that's mm-hmm. a universal hand of the ear that they can't hear or, or something that, that will help us with that. So we do train that, and we make our officers aware that, look, some people mm-hmm. may not be. We also deal with people that speak foreign languages. Right. Um, we're close to national parks, and so from time to time, there may be that uh, thrown into the mix. And so our officers are are reminded to, to be patient and, and try and communicate mm-hmm. as best they can. We have resources to be able to communicate with people that that have those those types of needs um on the autistic uh, autism side we also provide training on dealing with people with autism you know it's it's known that you don't just yell at people that that have autism that that can oftentimes set Make them off yeah, yeah. And you you talk you talk calmly you you try and and be 
less threatening, try and get down to their level. We do provide that. In fact, the state law just, uh, there was a state law enacted this year in Utah that now requires that police officers receive some, uh, some autism training uh, mm-hmm. annually. And so we, we have been doing that. In fact, we've got a couple of our officers. We found some uh, t- training for some instructors. We're going to be sending them to, yeah. to be able to, in the past, we've just had like someone from the Southwest Center or somebody who deals with that more often than us come in, but now we'll actually have officers who have been to some training and they can come back and train the train department. Train the rest of us. I think most of us also have or know someone, have a family member that has autism or, mm-hmm. or some sort of, you know, on, on the spectrum. And, and I think that we we all know that behavior and we can kind of, send, you know, pick up on it and, and, and manage, manage to react to that situation based on that knowledge. You know, it's an interesting situation because, uh, especially a severely autistic person, uh, you're like you said, it's maybe going to escalate because that's just that's just way the way they are. But uh, if you have a, a, an adult male who's uh, severely autistic, they're still very very strong. Sure. And, you know, I mean, you have to deal with it's it's really serious. It's not like you can say, well, he's autistic, we're going to go easy on him. You still have to deal with the situation. There, there's still a safety issue, and we yeah. have to manage the safety, especially if there's been some violence. Uh, we we have to manage that. It's scary stuff. All right. Well, I think you answered the question well. Let's go back to the phone lines. Dave on line one. Dave, thanks for joining us on the program. What's up? Yeah, good morning, Andy. Morning. Uh, I hate to, well, I just had a thing about the attitude of the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been here eight years. I come down from northern Utah. Okay. It, you know, and I'm used to, what if I'm out front and you'll buy, I'll wave at them, I'll wave at them anywhere. And all I ever got was a uh, just a horrible look, like it seen me on some poster somewhere. <laughs> and I started thinking, man, is it just me? So I started asking friends what they thought of the the police's attitudes, and about nine out of ten was not good. Hmm. And and then I had an opportunity. I had some signs stolen out of my front yard. I think it was about October. Uh, I saw a girl across the street, and I, did I profile her? Absolutely. But I decided to give up. I had things to do in the house. My neighbor watched her steal those signs and called the police. Uh, I finally run one down here on my street because they didn't come talk to me. And I'll tell you what, his attitude was horrible. Hmm. He started asking me questions. I was answering him. He said, do you want to press charges? I said, yes. And the disgust on his face that I would press charges. And I don't know if he felt like he was, it was below him to even be looking into this. But his attitude was horrible. And I walked away from his car going, okay, I'm done. I'm done with them. You know, I, I don't like not supporting the police. I always have. But man, if they're going to treat me like that. I struggle with it. Okay, thoughts, Chief? Well, David, I'm sorry you had that experience. That's that's unfortunate. You know, we expect our officers to treat everybody with kindness and respect. And, you know, sometimes, and I'm, I don't want to come across like I'm making excuses, but I remember as a, a young officer, it's difficult when you go from call to call to call to show that, maybe that compassion or that empathy. And, and sometimes, even though we expect the officers should show that, Sometimes it doesn't come across that way. I, I would absolutely expect our officers to treat every case, every call 
like it's important because to that person it probably is the the one or mm-hmm. maybe first or second time they'll ever have contact with the yeah. police. And so, uh, you know, if you have those experiences, don't hesitate to give us a call. If you deal with an officer that you feel like just wasn't, uh, didn't handle the incident appropriately, either their attitude or the, just the way they handled it in general, mm-hmm. give us a call. We, we want to, and, and it's not something we're going to fire the officer over, but at least to have, have a sit down. I, I know when I do things that offend people, I like people to bring it to my attention so, sure. I, so I can correct my behavior and, and learn my lesson. And, and I think that would, be, that would be important. Yeah, we need all the feedback we can get, good and bad, so that we can improve and, and do better. And on, a, on an up note, I was down at Snow Park one day with my dog, and there was two bike patrols. And, man, they, they waved at me as they were going by. Hey, how you doing today? You know, and I said, I'm good. You guys be safe. You know, and I thought that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, but great. Yeah. Well, I think we, you know, like what Chief was saying, I, I don't want to make excuses either because I, I, we do want everyone to have a positive experience if possible. But sometimes our patrol officers, they're, they are running call to call. They're dealing with Stressed the heat out. or the cold or and, and, and all the reports that go along with it. And it, it it's a really busy hectic uh place to to be sometimes and and i think sometimes that that gets in the way just a little bit of of that customer service that we're that we like to provide so all right let's go line two steven thank you for calling today i want to talk a little bit about red lights yeah the where i came from they uh all they did was to cut down on those red light accidents was add uh one or two seconds to the stoplights so that everybody was stopped for an extra two seconds. I've, I've noticed of that. Just going from one to the next, you I've, know. I've noticed from, that, Stephen, in other parts of the country, that, that, that I've seen that in other, I, like when you're in California, it seems I like the lights stay red a little, a little bit longer. I want to say they just added a little extra time, didn't they? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. That would be an interesting discussion fix. to have with, the, uh, with uh, Cameron Cutler. He's our, our public works director. And they deal with all the light timing. I, I think that would that's something we ought to talk about. The one thing I, I find, though, um, maybe this is just me being the kind of the, the pessimist, <laughs> but if you extend that time, sometimes people will More people start gonna, to learn, oh, yeah. I've got a little extra time now, and I'm going to just cut mm-hmm. it even. So, but, but no, I think that's something I could talk to Cameron about, and we'll, we'll see if that might help out. But thanks for the recommendation. I mean, that's great. Yeah, it just seems something the, the city can do just to... Without having to pass something, and you're still giving out the ticket if you want to. Well, we don't want to give tickets if we don't have to. We, I, I'd like peep drivers to just uh, yeah, personal well, yeah, accountability too, and stop at the stop. My stop preference light. would be we didn't need a traffic unit and everybody yeah. was just responsible, <laughs> and we could just. I think that's my biggest thing. Is I think they say you guys need to write more tickets, and I say you guys need to stop making traffic violations, and we won't have to write more tickets. <laughs> See, you help me, I'll help you. We'll do that together. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thanks, Stephen. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, you know, I have uh, we have our, our buddy Craig Bennett is a traffic uh, coordinator here. Has been for he's been doing traffic in Southern Utah for twenty something. Craig's years. the best. And uh, I remember one time he said uh, one one police officer was giving him a hard time for saying, "Well, there's you know traffic stops in this area of town or whatever." And he said, so he, he was concerned about it, so he went and talked with the chief. And this I mean, this was like a decade ago, a couple of chiefs ago. But a chief said, we love it when you give out our locations. Not because, you know, we're not in it to write tickets and right. make money for the city. We're in it 
for the streets to be safer. And if people are slowing down in that part of town, that's a good thing, not well, a bad thing. So why thing. don't you put that out today, Andy? Put out that we're going to be in every intersection and stop sign in St. George. <laughs> well, and we... everyone needs to stop at the red lights and the stop signs. Yeah, see if it see if it cuts down on and don't go faster crashes. than forty five on bluff. I found that one out too. Yeah, yeah. So. All right, I got, I got to get one more break in. We're on with Kyle Whitehead, the chief of police, and Tiffany Mitchell, who is uh, also uh, with the police department here at St. George City. We'll be uh, back with the more and finish the show off after this. Okay, guys. Sounds good. Hey. And thanks so much to Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney is a local loan consultant with customer service as his number one priority. He's with New American Funding, and uh, he's gone online. He said, look, you guys review me. I'll post all your reviews. We'll put it up there. You can tell me what you think. Well, 539 reviews later, Joe Shoney uh, has 4.96 out of 5 stars. Phenomenal score for Joe Shoney. I highly recommend, again, you check out uh, Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney's phone number is 435-590-6300. Welcome back to the program. St. George Police on today. Thank you so much to Kyle Whitehead and Tiffany Mitchell for being on the program as they grab their headsets. You guys look good in headsets. Like you, mm, thank you. You got to go into radio maybe. Huh? Probably have the face for it, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Tip, no. Tip, no, but I, I definitely do. Like I always said, my wife said, always said I had a face for radio and a voice for newspaper. I'm not sure what that means exactly. I'm sure it's a compliment. Well, it's, it's probably because you read her the newspaper and she liked <laughs> how you, go. you know, it's there very soothing. Hey, one of the concerns that's come up lately is uh, you see it a lot. You see it in the headlines in Salt Lake especially, but some here too is, uh, people have their loads, their uncovered loads, and, and something will come off their vehicle on the freeway, a, a ladder or some rocks or geez, mm-hmm. a piece of rebar, which can turn into a very deadly weapon uh, because of uncovered loads. You guys want to talk, address that a little bit? Yeah, we've been working with um, with the city, and and we've created some videos. We're going to be putting some stuff out All here. Right, real, yeah. Uh, use some drone footage to kind of get the difference between a covered and uncovered load. So we all want to keep Dixie beautiful, first of all. So we got to mm-hmm. start there. But then there's also the safety issue where we have so many um, uncovered loads where there's a lot of construction going on all around St. George. And it's important that those loads be covered. So, so what's the law? If I put a, a half ton of rock in the back of my pickup truck, does it have to be covered if I'm driving across town? The way the statute, I just read the statute, oh, it's been a couple of weeks, and so don't quote me on this, but you have to make an, a, a reasonable attempt. There's there's the covered load and the secure, right. secured load. Secured. Uh-huh. And okay. so you do have to secure your load, and if it's something that needs covering, you have to make a reasonable attempt. And so if you're hauling sand and you put a tarp over it, there's still going to be some sand escape, you know, right. but at least you're making that effort to put a covering over it. Uh, with, with rock... I would probably say you still ought to tarp it because there's some small rock, especially if you're out on the freeway, it's it's going to, to blow out of, of that trailer if it if it starts getting some wind. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of, the statute's not real specific, but uh, I think it's written that way so that it's, you know, it's just all good judgment. And I think well, if we're making the effort to keep it secured and covered, then it's it's going to be best. Now, Kyle, I've lived in five or six different homes since I moved to Southern Utah in, in 1993. Uh, and each time, if I'm moving, you know, from Washington to St. George or I'm moving to Hurricane to Washington or whatever, uh, I'm piling as much crap as I can put in the back of my truck. And, uh, you know, there's the rocking chair and the cabinet and the, and the entertainment center. It's all in there. And I'm 
gosh, I'm only going two miles, you know, what do I need to do? What's, what's the rule on this? And, and what's I would say just secure trouble? it. Just okay. secure it. Make sure that it's tied in there, that it's not going to bounce out, and you'll be, you'll be fine. Okay. What, what about uh, what we were just talking about, that, that sometimes stuff, you see service trucks all the time and their ladder sitting on the back and maybe a, a, a bucket of uh, drywall or, or whatever. What's their responsibility? What's their liability, quite frankly, if, if a bucket of drywall bounces out and goes through the windshield and kills somebody else? What? Well, not just criminally, but civilly. That's a huge mm-hmm. liability. And, and so I would encourage people to make sure that that stuff. The other thing we talk a little bit about, I think, is remember, we're trying to keep our community uh, mm-hmm. very beautiful. And most of the problem we have here, fortunately, is it's just litter and debris blowing It's cosmetic, out. okay. And, you know, it's, someone else has to pick that up. And so just be responsible, cover your loads, uh, make sure that you're not having things fall out of your loads and, and off your trucks and different things. Kind of part of being a good citizen again, huh? Absolutely. I, I like that. Tiffany's been looking something up on the on the computer. I wonder if you got to it. Well, I've just, I, yeah, on, on the unsecured, so a person can't operate uh, a vehicle carrying trash or garbage without a covering over the entire load is, is a violation. And then it's also just talking about if you're, you know, and you have something in the bed of your truck like you talked about, um, it can't go above you know, the bed of your truck and mm-hmm. has to be covered and you, you do have to do what, what you what you can do to keep it from sifting out or falling out or flying out. Will you pull someone over if they have an unsecure load? Or, Absolutely. Or, or, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Very good to know. He's Kyle Whitehead, Chief of Police. She's Tiffany Mitchell, the Communications Director for the Police Department. Thanks so much, you guys. You're Thanks welcome. For Thanks us. for having us. See you next month. Awesome job as always. We'll see Thanks you next Thanks for month. the questions, comments.